You are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. This podcast has been created to help you connect and achieve your destiny as a leader. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org. Number three, persistent, constant, they stay on course. Persistent, constant, they stay on course. I think my grandfather's illustration was good here. There was a two fellows walking down the road one day and they saw a dog had been hit by a car and it died and of course it had grimaced in pain and so as it died its teeth were shining through laying out there on the highway. This one fellow he always had a reputation of having something good to say about everything. You know, and uh, the other one looked at him. He said, "You got." To, he said, "You always got something good to say about every situation, every time, everything." He said, "I suppose." You see that dog laying out there? He says, "I suppose." You know that you got something good to say about that. And the fellow looked over at the dog, and the teeth were there, just you know, glistening because it had died in such pain. He said, "Well, he does have pretty teeth, don't he?" <laughs> And the guy, the guy so disgusted, he said, oh, he said, my goodness. He said, I suppose that you'd have something good to say about the devil. The fellow thought a minute and says, well, he is persistent, isn't he? (laughs) Maybe if we could get as much persistence as the devil has. How many know he's persistent? See, it's time that the church got the tenacity of a bulldog. Get you a bite and hang on. Oh, brother, you'll be out of control. Yeah, but look for the ride you'll go for. (laughs) At least something exciting will happen. But everybody wants to stay in their comfort zone. You know. No, persistent. You know, every great man of God that I've looked at today that's been around through the years, I have seen this characteristic be dominant. One of my favorites is Kenneth Hagin. Brother Hagin has been preaching the same message year in, year out, month in, month out, week in, week out, for over 50 years. Just as consistent. And you know when you go to one of his meetings, you're going to hear some of the same things you heard before. In fact, there's some messages, hey, I could preach them as good as he can. (laughs) What makes the power of his so dynamic? Consistency. I know what line's coming next. I'm still excited about hearing it. (laughs) I know the illustrations. Are you listening? And yet, what we have is we develop people with itching ears, you know what I mean? They want to hear something different. They don't want to have that consistent. I don't know about you, but when I go to a restaurant, I want to hear that it's an excellent restaurant, okay? Hey, what's going to be the key? 
by having the same good food that you had the time before. See, that's what excellence is, is the consistency of it again and again. See, I mean, if you go eat a place one time and you say, hey, the food was good. Go back and it was just as good the second time. I said, man, it was great. You go back the third time and it's just as good. You'll tell people, that's an excellent restaurant. What makes it excellent? The consistency. The persistence that they have to look to the details to get it just right. You know? I don't know, for example, one of, the, one of the places I enjoy going on occasion is Ruth Chris's Steakhouse. And they got some, I felt a witness there. <laughs> And they have, a, they have a methodology that they're just as consistent with, that they'll bring that steak out on a plate that's at a certain temperature and it's hot over time, and your meat continues to cook in that hot plate while you're having it. And that's part of the excellence. Why? Because it's consistent, just persistent, just staying after it time and time again. I think that's the thing that Lester Summerall pointed out, that that's been the key to his success, is the fact. He put it like this. He said, I just never quit. Do you know there's men that can't stay up with him today? I'm talking about physically. Can't even match him. He and I took off walking through the city of Jerusalem one time. After about a mile, he looked back. He said, hmm. You know, I ain't do it. Hmm. I said, you're still there? I said, yeah. He said, usually I've lost them by now. Talk about them little short legs were churning, boy. They was a churning. <laughs> but consistent, persistent, staying after it. That's what's causing that's why men become great leaders, is because they are consistent. That works for them. Number four, self disciplined. Bringing yourself to that point, to that place, to where you stay in control and can produce. <clears throat> See, we work discipline in one area of our life, not work in another. Discipline needs to run all the way through spirit, soul, body. I know Christians that are real good watching the words of their mouth, but they don't watch how much food goes in their mouth. You know, there's so much that we need to work on in our lives that can't nobody else do. Nobody else should do. We need to have the discipline. Us no one else. When people see that you won't discipline yourself and keep on keeping on and keep that consistency, then somewhere along the way it enters into their mind, well, he's not going to see it all the way through. You know I me, mean? he's not disciplined enough to do it, so why should I? He'll quit on it, I will too. They'll just quit a little sooner with the anticipation that you're going to. I know uh, one of the guys has told me numerous times as he has traveled with me through the years, 
He said, I've watched you get up under every kind of circumstance and go ahead and minister. It didn't matter what was happening, what was going on. You just keep on keeping on. And you'd hold to that schedule. You'd do what had to be done because I disciplined myself that it didn't make any difference what my body was feeling, what was going on that had nothing to do with it. Right now, I've got a job that's got to be done. I'm going to go do it. And of course, you know, having a body to where you, you know, got the strength of a bull, I could just charge my way through for years. But there was another area in my life that I didn't discipline, and as a result, it caused that to break down. Discipline all the way through is a part of your leadership. Discipline of yourself. People will see it and it will affect them in their own disciplines. Whether we like it or not. I mean, we can say, well, that's, this is my problem. They got theirs. No, because you're a leader, you're out front, they're going to see yours. Follow me? I remember when I was young, I used to be proud that I could spout off what I thought. And I'll never forget when God straightened me out had me discipline myself relative to my mouth in that area. I used to pride myself. Bless God, I gave him a piece of my mind. And one day the Spirit of the Lord said to me, he said, that's all right if you got the mind of Christ. <laughs> Revelation began to come. Discipline your mouth, boy. Get it under control. So many areas that you'll have to discipline yourself in. If, you, if you're not willing to do it, don't expect others to. Number five. Good track record. People want to see that you've done something before. That's why it's so hard for a lot of people, a lot of young men, to go in and take their first pastorate. It's because people don't see a track record, you know what I mean? It's difficult for them to equate and see in their mind's eye. You know, well, what have they done? So they have to look at something else of what they've done. That's when a good track record of being an associate becomes important. That's when a good track record of being faithful and loyal to your pastor is important. Are you following what I'm saying? See, good track record pays dividends for you. And, and if you don't have the good track record, then that makes them question right then and there whether they can follow you or not. Why? Because no man wants to wind up in the ditch. It's that simple. He just doesn't want it. So he's looking for that person who's got a track record. One of the boys was saying to me the other day that they were, they were amazed how I could go to a meeting and wind up getting more authors and more people that want you know us to publish for them than what anybody else could and it simply goes back to one major element I got a good track record I helped Kenneth Hagin in the beginning I helped Kenneth Copeland John Osteen Charles Capps Fred Price come on down the line I got a track record now that can sound egotistical. I don't mean it that way. All I'm talking about is my point. Did you hear me? 
I'm not bragging on me. I'm talking about the principle and how it works. It's working for me rather than working against me. I mean, oh, some people got a track record that ain't too good. <laughs> see, then it becomes hard to see that in faith. So you have to have a word from God to be able to do that. Because the track record is going the other way. Whereas the track record won't work for you to build some things. To be a leader, you need a good track record. So that means you start leading at whatever level you're at. Let me say that again. I said that means you start leading at what level you're at. You may want to be a leader at a higher level, but you can't get there without having been a good leader down here. The track record is either going to work for you or against you. They're going to look at some kind of track record. That's all there is to it. Years ago, I, you have to understand how I started out. I started out in my home church helping my pastor. And uh, <clears throat> again, I know this could get into what sounds like braggadocious, but it's my life and I understand it. So, you know what I mean? I can just speak to it openly and candidly. I started out helping my pastor in my home church. See, I was one of those young men full of zeal and enthusiasm and not much knowledge. Uh, in fact, a classic case of it, you know, just <laughs> ignorance going to seed, you know. And, uh, but boy, I wanted to do something for God. So I went to my pastor and said, Brother, what, I want to do something for God. I want to do something, well, immediately my mind works in the realms of what I've already done before. So I'd had a janitorial business. I said, let me clean the church. He said, I got somebody. I said, oh, well, I'd had, a, had a, I'd had a yard business. So I said, well, let me mow the yard. He said, I got somebody. I said, oh, I want to do something for God. He said, well, won't you start a choir? I said, ooh. <laughs> that wasn't what I wanted to hear. But he knew I had an ear for music. I couldn't read music, but I could hear the parts. And so I started a choir in our home church. God, because I was consistent and faithful in it, God began to build a track record for me. And so I'd fast and pray. And I mean, you know, I mean, it was important because when you can't hear, you know, when you don't know notes, you don't know what note to tell the piano player to play. So you just tell her, read the music and play that lead note. And they'd hit it and then you tell everybody else, hum it. No, you're too high, come down. No, you're too low, go back up. There it is, you got it, hold on to it. It takes a while to get through practices like that, see. <laughs> But I would stay after it, you know what I mean? And, and God would move. We'd have kids saved and filled with the Holy Spirit in choir practice. You know, it was marvelous. Revival broke out into our church, you know, because of it. Well, I went to Minnesota's music and youth director of a church. Still couldn't read music. But I went up there. Had three choirs. And God began to build that track record because I stayed consistent. And God used us there to affect a number of people in a very positive way. I was there 16 months, and I went with Brother Hagen out on the road. Now, because I was consistent, I'd always be in church when the doors were open. I'd built that into my life. It was a part of it. So when I went out on the road, and we were doing a meeting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, we actually we were using Central Assembly's auditorium. It was our own meeting. They had their church on Sunday. We had a Sunday afternoon service. And uh, uh, we'd had meetings, you know, two days a week, you know, through the week, through Saturday. They had their Sunday morning service. We would have Sunday afternoon. Well, Brother Hagen stayed in to rest, you know, because he'd been ministering twice a day and all. But I went up, got up, and went to church on Sunday morning. Okay. 
Now, because I had a track record of going to church and being consistent and being involved, the music director of that church tried to bribe me with a sport coat to get me to come to work there. He wanted to quit and let me be the music director. All because I had a track record of just keeping on going to church when I was supposed to go to church. And it brought blessings into life because of that track record. I'm thoroughly convinced you developing a good track record at each level builds you on up into it. And you can't do that without the consistency tied to it. A track record is part of it. Number six, self-knowledge. A leader knows his worth, but that doesn't mean he's self-centered or worships himself. A leader knows his strengths and weaknesses. He is self-critical, meaning he evaluates himself. Doesn't mean he beats himself down. He develops and nurtures his strength. He works on his weaknesses and finds associates who will complement him, and he compensates for his weaknesses. He knows where he's strong. He knows where he's weak. How many of you noticed in marriage, God usually gives you a mate that's opposite of you? Why? What's God doing? Completing your life, bringing strengths to your weaknesses, and your strengths become something to their weaknesses. And it's a complementary thing. And that's really what God's after. But you have to know yourself. It takes a self-examination. Now, there's areas I'm strong in. There's other areas I'm not strong in. I don't have gifts and graces in those areas. I don't kid myself. So therefore, I try to hire the best people in those areas I can find. But I have to know where my strengths are. I have to know where my weaknesses are. Yeah, you have to, you have to learn what you've got, learn how to deal with it. Some of you will be able to relate to this. Daryl Royal was the coach and then later on the athletic director of the University of Texas years ago when they won a national championship with Earl Campbell. They had the number one rushing team in the nation. They were coming up against the number one defensive team against the rush in the nation. So the reporters were asking him, said, Daryl, said, you know, he said, there's out, out of the past, three things happen and two of them are bad. And said, we know your philosophy about the past isn't that good. Are you going to change your philosophy and try to do a little more passing rather than running? In that old country way, he looked at him and he says, oh. He says, you got to remember, you got to dance with the one that brung you to the dance. In other words, you got to know your strengths and stay with it. Stay with your strengths. And when you have weaknesses, roll away from it. That was one of the things that helped me in football. This turned around and brought a principle to my life. They always taught me that when you were feeling pressure in one direction, you know, if they're trying to shove you out of a hole, block you on this side, to get you over here to where you can't feel that hole there, see, they always taught me, roll out of it. How I many know the Bible says, cast your care on him? And so when I feel pressure coming from this side and I feel it trying to push me that way, I just simply roll around like this and I'm right where I ought to be. A simple physical technique to play football is a major spiritual principle in life. When you feel the pressure is coming and you say, hey, I don't have the strength 
to fight this, I roll out of it. I get in position where I am strong. See, with him over there laying on the ground because I left him, I'm over here where I need to be. If you'll learn, simple principles in life like that can keep you positioned where you need to be. But it's knowing yourself. Knowing when you need to stand strong against it, because you can, and knowing when you need to roll out of it. So some things you don't have any business doing. You don't have the gifts, you don't have the graces, you don't have the wherewithal. So find somebody that does. Now one gift I have is in mathematics. I got it from my father. As far as I'm concerned, mathematically he was a genius. I don't know that I could prove it, but I'll guarantee you, from my standpoint, it sure seemed like it was. And I know it's worked for me. When I managed Jerry Queens, during the rush hour, I'd have five or six girls taking orders and stand there getting the orders from the people. They'd turn them in, bring them up and serve them. And then when it comes time at the cash register, I'd stand by the cash register. And rather than take time to work it up, I could add those figures up in my head faster than they could do it on the ad machine. We speed up our whole process because I used the strength that I had. Am I making sense? Yes, sir. They wrote an old song, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. Have a self-knowledge. Know where you're strong, know where you're weak. It's not bad to know where you're weak, that's good. Then you won't be presumptuous and get yourself in trouble. There's an area in my life, and I saw, hey, I got a weakness here. I told my wife, hey, I need you to help me. You need to fill the gap here. Boy, she's strong in that area. This worked great. But some men's ego won't let them. Hallelujah. That's another subject, isn't it? A leader has the ability to discern the fit between his strengths and his weaknesses and the organization's need. A leader knows his values and priorities, the values and priorities of the organization, and can measure the difference between the two. That's personal and business. He can only do that by self-knowledge. Quality number seven. He is a perpetual learner. A perpetual learner. I'm so excited about some of the things that I've learned just this past year. I don't mind telling you, since the middle of January, I've learned so much. I just wish I could preach it all. You know what I mean? It's just it's not enough hours in a day for me to preach all the things I'm learning. Best thing I can do is just keep on digesting it, you know what I mean, and find a point in time to where I can get some of it out that'll help somebody else. But it's exciting because I've learned something new. Learning should be a perpetual thing in your life. The person who thinks they know it all is in trouble. They're in trouble right then and there. What's a leader's attitude toward mistakes? A leader learns from mistakes. For the effective leader, failure is a beginning, the springboard of hope. 
For the leader, failure is a beginning. That means he's got to learn something new. How many know there's one more than one way to skin the cat? I see when you only know one way, there's a frustration that can sit inside you. How will you get it done? Leaders wonder about everything. They want to learn as much as they can. They're willing to take risks, experiment, and try new things to learn. It's just part of their nature. They're always reading, listening to others, attending seminars. Another thing, too, that you might keep in mind is they have the right mentors. I'm so glad for the people that God has put in my life. First, as a boy, it was my grandfather, my mother. When I got older, got in high school, I had some coaches that put some good values into me. Then after that, I had a wonderful pastor. Remember I said he's a nugget preacher? Dynamite man. I mean, he did so much. Then the next thing that happened... Well, actually, I was already in the family, but when I really began to get the fullness of it was being involved with Kenneth Hagin, spiritual father, <coughs> one who taught me. Now, I used to cry and moan about not being able to go to Ramah because I never got to go to Bible school like everybody else. But I spent 10 years working with him, and a lot of times we'd be on the road for six weeks at a time, you know, in the car, driving all day, in the meetings at night, listening to him counsel people after the service, you know. And I realized I just had my own Bible school. In fact, mine might have been a little bit better. You know, I remember one day I was starting to counsel somebody been in the ministry for a number of years, and all of a sudden an answer come up out of me, and I thought, where'd that come from? See, it's almost like he got it by osmosis. And I didn't even know I had it. But I sat there and listened to him talk to people for years, giving them the answers and solutions, operating by principles. You know, and it was there. One of the great privileges that I had years ago was when I lived down the street from Brother Oral Roberts. My wife and I would go to the house and pray with him, talk to him. You're talking about somebody challenging you to make you think. When he raises up and lifts those eyebrows and said, tell me what you just learned. Right then your mind goes... <laughs> <laughs> If he hadn't raised up and raised those eyebrows, I'd probably been all right. You know? <laughs> but it'd make you know what you've learned. Oh, yeah. you know? I've been in the prayer room with Kenneth Copeland and Fred Price and been in their homes. And I tell you, having that kind of input into your life is so valuable. Mentors. Sometimes it's hard to say where you got what. The thing is, it really doesn't matter. The fact is, you got it. It's not that you don't want to give credit where credit's due. That has nothing to do with it. You won't bring honor to whom honor is due. But, man, sometimes you've just fed so much and you've heard it from one and heard it from another. How I many you know in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everyone gets established? And as a result, I mean, there's just mentors that God puts in your life for certain things. It's just dynamic. You know, there's always the people that come along and tell you, Brother, I want you to know I'm a self-made man. You a fool, what you is. There ain't no such animal. 
you're a product of what people have put into you. No matter how they did it, by book, you know, one of the things I had to do in those beginning days was do, do all of Brother Hagin's duplication. We did them reel to reel. This is for cassette. Then we did cassette. I'd do all the editing. I'd do the opening and closing on the radio program. I had somebody come up to me here just a few years ago. So I know your voice. It's on Brother Hagin's tape. Please, tape. Please turn the cassette over to the side, too. Man, I was world famous. Huh? Having a mentor that puts it into where you can be that perpetual learner. You can be learning. How many know in every situation you learn? If nothing else, learn what not to do. If you have a perpetual attitude of learning. Okay? Leaders evaluate and reflect on their experiences and learn from them. I've gone back and looked at every experience I've gone through. Talked about their experiences empower them rather than imprison them. I mean, even the stupid things I've done. I've made some bonehead stunts. Dear God, we ought to write a book on that. I'd be afraid who bought it, though. I don't want to develop any other boneheads out there. But they use their experiences rather than being used by them. Leaders believe they can learn anything they want to learn. Leaders learn from others, but they're not made by others. I'm made in the likeness of God. Wonderfully made. But I've been empowered by these other people. I received greatness from them. Leaders are excited by ideas and information. I have to use this illustration. I've used it so many times, but it's still worth repeating. For a perpetual learner, my grandfather was the greatest example to me. It was right at 95 when he died. He'd been preaching the gospel for 75 years. He didn't quote verses. He quoted chapters. And when he did, they came alive. Jerry Savelle heard him as a young man when he was dating Caroline. And it was one of his favorite preachers because how powerful. Jerry said, said oh, Brother George could just raise his hands that the anointing would fall. He radiated with the life and the power of God. But when he was about 93, just a couple of years before he died, I drove over to Louisiana to see the family. He sat out on the carport, an old recliner they'd put up for him out there. And when I drove up, he looked up there, and all of a sudden he started going like this. I thought something was wrong. Man, I jumped out of the car, slammed the door, went running up there to him. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, what is it? He held up his Bible. He says, let me show you something I just learned. <laughs> he had read the Bible through thousands of times. Two different times he read the Bible through without stopping. Wouldn't stop to eat or sleep, just read it all the way through. You know one of the interesting things he told me one time? 
He read the Bible through backwards. He said, you'd learn a lot that way. John Avanzini taught me that too. He reminded me of that. Now why? Because we get in a rut reading a certain way. I see, sometimes if you'll come back at it from the other direction, you'll see it in a different light. Just a thought. There I was, granddaddy, could quote chapters. 93 years old, started 13 churches. Precious man of God. Had been run out of town for preaching the gospel. And at 93, let me show you what I just learned. Then who do you and I think we are? What do you think we know in comparison? Some of these old timers have thought, forgot more than you and I'll ever even learn. If you don't, have, if you don't have that attitude of perpetual learner, you're going to be whipped. It's going to stop you. Number eight. Are we still together? All right. They love work. Work is pleasurable to the leader, not painful. Now that would tell you something right there. If you just stop and think about it with a certain perspective, and that's this. That's why some people can't be leaders. It's because they don't love work. It will stop them from being leaders because they don't love work. If you don't love work, you can't lead anybody else into work. I told you how my daddy taught me to enjoy work. To where, if anything, one of the things I had to fight through the years was becoming a workaholic. You know what I mean? I mean it, it was so pleasurable, so satisfying to me that I would let some other things go. And it probably cost me in a couple of areas of my life until I caught on and recognized, you know, hey, that's, I'm letting this thing go beyond. How I many you know you can get in the ditch on either side? Now, see, you got to understand life is full of balance, okay? But a basic ingredient is that you need to love work. And, and you can't hate work, okay? You need to love work, but you don't need to love work excessively. To where it's your addiction and it becomes your life. See, that's what happens. Uh, actually, that's why some marriages wind up breaking up. It's because people fall so far in love with their work that they don't have time for love for their mate. Okay? It's a real, real dangerous area. But don't let it run you off from keeping it right. Go ahead and love work. Just don't get into the excessive part of it to where it's dominating you. Right? I've watched preachers fall in love with preaching, but their church fall apart because all they did was love the pulpit. And the pulpit's only 10% of it. Are you here? Yes. You've got to love your work. That's a must. Every successful man I've seen that is, has any leadership ability, he loves it. Okay? I don't mind telling you, I love the publishing business. I love the ministry. Now, I find the balance. Okay, I, I know I, that was one of the things I struggled with was 
loving them both, which one would I give the most time to? Well, I gave the most time to the ministry, and I probably always will. Now, I'll give more time to the businesses and the companies because as you grow and develop, you've got to have a little more time there. Before, all I ever gave the business was 10%, and the ministry was 90%. Now, I'm changing it now, and I'll get to 20% business, but 80% will still be ministry. Now, why? Because in the businesses, I'm not having to deal with people all the time. Where in ministry, I'm dealing with people, and I'm a people person. Are you following what I'm saying? So my balance there. Now, if you want to go just by what I loved, I love making things happen, and I'd spend more time in the businesses if it was my flesh. But I can't do that. I've got to equate it, break it out to where I have that balance. How many know life is full of balance? Now, I know a lot of Word of Faith people don't want to hear the word balance because to them it means compromise. For me, balance carries one other meaning to it. It's a Bible word. It's called reconciliation. See, when you balance your bank statements, you reconcile it. See? God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a word of reconciliation. In other words, get people out of the ditches. You can get in the ditch on either side. And so you can get in the ditch. You need to love work. You can't hate work, and you can't become excessive in your love for work. You just need to love it not become possessed with it. Are we still together? Number nine. And this is an important one. They attract and energize others. Leaders attract and energize others. So, what does that say to us? If no one is attracted to you, That's a good possibility. You ain't a leader. You be a follower. Energize others. Again, you can't give away something you don't possess. And if you don't have an energy that draws people to you, a force that is like a magnet that pulls them in, and you energize them and inspire them and encourage them and uplift them, then that right there begins to tell you, hey, I'm a follower. I'm not a leader. And how many of you know, can't everybody be a leader? Leaders need to be at each level, but not everybody's meant to be a leader. I mean, if there were no followers, then you couldn't have any leaders. Because everybody'd be leading, and nobody'd be following, so therefore everybody'd be nothing. <laughs> See, you gotta have them both. Now, understand this: to say that somebody is a follower does not make them a second-class citizen. Right. All that is is egotism when you fall into that. They're not lesser because they follow. God's designed them that way. They're equipped that way. And I've got news for you. You wouldn't be any kind of leader if you didn't have them. You just wouldn't. So there must be that attracting, that energizing. Number 10. 
and this is an important one. Leaders are emotionally secure. They have emotional security. How many know people don't want to follow someone who's nervous all the time? Yeah? Like that old deal. You nervous, Joe? No. It's hard to get excited about following somebody like that. Yeah. In fact, I, I've, I've irritated people at times when, when it seems like everything's blowing up and being destroyed. I'm too calm for some of them. Yeah. I remember one time years ago, somebody had broke into our house. Apparently they were a very big, large person. Because when they were looking out the window when we were coming home, they left a handprint on the wall, the oil of his hand, you know. And my wife, her uncle, was living with us at the time, and he'd walked in the house first, thought something was different, but he couldn't spot it, walked in the kitchen and flipped the switch, and right across, the, he was 6'6", he was six, six, and right across from him, across the top of the refrigerator, he saw this other guy, <laughs> not over 10 feet away, you know, and the guy was bigger than Dub. Huh? Both of them hollered and ran opposite directions. <laughs> huh? <laughs> then, what was amazing, they come home and they're talking to me about Pat and the babies, you know, what could have happened and all like this. And I didn't react. You know? See, in my mind, it's too late to react. You know, he's been here and gone. You know, I mean, why get emotional now? Have you ever watched the followers? You know, man, they were there. You saw them. I mean, it was bad. You know what could have happened? You know, how I many of those kind of emotions keep you from being a leader? Let me put it this way. You got to be cool under fire. Because if you're going to be in business or you're going to be in the ministry, they're going to be fire. The Bible promises it. You'll be tried by fire. Emotionally secure. Boy, how critical is that? It's absolutely vital. Having your emotions under control. Now why? Why should a leader be emotionally secure? Very simple. He won't be able to affect the others. But see, if, you, if you're reacting out of emotions, you become a reactor. God's called you to be a doer, not a reactor. So therefore, I can't afford to let my emotions. See, as a young man, I had to learn how to harness my temper. I had to learn how to harness anger. Now, let me say something to you clearly. I still get angry. Okay? Bible says, be angry and sin not. I just don't sin anymore. Used to, we had a laying on the hand service. You know, don't do that no more. Okay? But I don't react. I respond. And that's with purpose and that's with intent. It will be this way. Therefore, I'm in control. People who are not emotionally secure will explode at the wrong time. And that's why a lot of people can't 
be supervisors and companies is because they're not emotionally secure, so therefore it becomes very hard for them to be a leader in their organization. You gotta have it together. Bless God, we can have it together and keep it together. Okay. Now, I, I, I just got mad two days ago. I still hadn't talked to anybody about it because I'm still too mad. You know what I mean? I'd wind up saying something I shouldn't say. I'll sin with my mouth. You know? So therefore, I can't talk about it for a period of time. That's all there is to it. You know what I mean? Just, there ain't no point in me discussing it with anybody. I had to do the same thing with my children. Because if I allowed myself, uh, you know what I mean? Well, I'd have got known for beating kids. You know what I mean? If I'd allowed myself to go on in that vein. But I had to get to where I was in control of my emotions. To where I wasn't reacting, I was responding. That's where you'll have to be as a leader. You have been listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast, where our focus is to help you achieve your destiny as a leader. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org.